can we eat our way to a green and healthy future? That's the question in this edition of Think Nordic from the Nordic Council of Ministers with me, Richard Myron. We're here at the COP24, the Global Climate Change Conference in Katowice, Poland. And what better place to consider the big global issues? Most notably, you are what you eat, which is true both personally and on a global level. Diet, food policy, agriculture, they shape us and they shape our planet. We're going to be discussing these issues around food, around food policy. What can we do? Who's responsible? Us personally as consumers, agribusiness, farmers, governments. This is episode three of the Think Nordic podcast, and we've been looking at Nordic approaches to a number of issues, including sustainability and gender, and the application of Nordic solutions elsewhere. In order to listen to this podcast and the others, please go online. Sign up via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the podcast on the Nordic Council of Ministers website. But back to the issue of food. It's become an issue or maybe a problem to be resolved in developmental terms. Getting it right is critical. According to Gunhild Strådalen, who is president of the EAT Foundation based in Oslo. Hippocrates said, let food be your medicine. He was right. Food can be a potent medicine to global challenges and way beyond health. Obviously, getting it right on food won't solve everything. But a global shift towards diets that are both healthy and environmental sustainable is a prerequisite for achieving all the sustainable development goals. Well, getting it right, yes, but how do you get it right? I have three very distinguished guests here who are going to try and help answer that question. Joining me is Isabella Lovin, who is the Swedish Deputy Prime Minister and the spokesman for the Green Party. She is also the Minister of International Development, Cooperation and Climate. She has taken a particular interest in all issues related to food and development, but most especially sustainable fishing has been something that she's looked closely at. Also joining me is Dr. David Nabarro, who's originally from the UK, and he has 40 years experience in public health as a practitioner, an educator, a diplomat, and has a worldwide reputation as a thinker and as an actor on these issues. He's also the 2018 winner of the EAT Foundation Prize for promoting awareness of nutrition or undernutrition in mothers and young children. And also joining me is Mari Hasla Einang, who is a youth activist and comes from a Norwegian NGO called Changemaker. And she's here both to offer her view from generationally and her personal experience. Isabella, if I can start by asking you very quickly, how do we deal with the question of inequality of food and diet. Isn't that the critical issue, that we have different parts of the globe and different populations who are eating very different kinds of things and in certain instances causing themselves and their societies great harm? I think us in the rich part of the world need to rethink a lot of how we produce food and, and also how we eat food. We know that food production is very much linked to climate change. We know that it's 
unsustainable to eat as much meat as we're doing right now. One third of everything that is produced now on our, on our lands and, and, and what is fished in our ocean is actually then thrown away. And that's completely unsustainable. We're also uh, producing meat uh, through big uh, animal farms where you're overusing antibiotics, which is also a major threat to, to human health. So what we need to do is to rethink our ways of producing food which would also benefit our health and definitely not export this type of food production to the developing part of the world. But when it comes to equity, as you started your question, then you have to realize that people in the developing world, to, to a very large extent, is dependent on small-scale farming and small-scale fisheries, actually. So if you just go in and kind of make big type of agribusiness or industrial fishing, then you take away the livelihoods of millions or billions of people. So that would not be sustainable. So what we need to do is also both rethink how we produce food in, in the rich part of the world and support sustainable development of small-scale farming and small-scale fisheries in the developing part of the world. A truly global problem. So David, what should be the primary focus of policymakers and, and, and to whom? To consumers, to agribusiness? Where do you start? So let's start with the people who are actually eating food. Just at the moment in our world, nearly one billion people are still hungry and undernourished. More than one billion people are eating too much. So finding the middle path is the key. And helping people to find that middle path is a really key role for policymakers. So consumers right at the center. But then it's not just the consumers that need policy attention. Also, the people who are producing food. Do you know that about two and a half billion of the seven billion people in our world actually have their livelihoods dependent on agriculture and food. And they're often some of the lowest income people in the world. So ensuring that the producers have a decent standard of living is key. And then lastly, you know, food systems, as you implied in your introduction, are not neutral. You use an awful lot of water to produce food. You use a lot of soil and you can actually damage the soil if you don't do it right and and if you are mistaken in your food production systems you can actually produce a lot of carbon dioxide almost one-third of the greenhouse gas emissions in our world today are associated with food production so policymakers need to focus on the consumer they need to focus on the producer and they need to focus on the environment writ large big challenge and I'm going to say that I actually think that food policy might be one of the most important areas of policy for the future of our world and its people and kind of doesn't get the attention it deserves. Mari, listening to David there, he's talking about policy, about the global aspects of this. But for someone like you, how important are personal choices? And do you really think that the personal choices about choosing to be vegetarian or flexitarian or eating organic, can they really change anything in, in the face of such vast problems? The short answer is no. I don't think it's going to solve the issues, but I still do it. 
I think all the answers that you guys have given so far shows that it's not enough to just focus on our personal consumption. It won't solve all the issues, but I think it's still important, both on a personal basis, that you yourself, when you choose to be vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian, whatever, you're concerned about what you eat. You know what it is. You know where it comes from. You know who made it. Does it come from an animal? How was that animal treated? How is the farmer who helped that animal, who nourished that animal, how is she doing? You know, all these things you're more concerned about when you actually do active choices in your consumption. And so personally, I became vegetarian like eight years ago because I read in a book that it wasn't good, so I stopped eating meat. But then I realized that it's not that easy, so I started eating wild meat, deer. From my, I'm from the countryside, <laughs> so my dad used to go hunting and we, we got deer, and I thought that would be okay. And so there are some things that I choose actively to eat because I think... It's okay, but what's most important on a broader scale is that I talk about it. Every time I sit down and eat with someone, I talk about it because they ask me. Because I say, oh no, I can't eat that meat. I don't eat pork. It's not sustainable. And so they ask me, why isn't that good? Or what are your thoughts around it? And, and all these things. And that influences all the other people in our environment. And... I also think that builds on the current trend that you see amongst young people. We're all more concerned, or at least my community in Norway, uh, we're more concerned about what we eat, what we consume, and not just in what we eat, but also like where our clothes from, all secondhand, or do we make them ourselves, all these things. It's a nice trend. <laughs> so, I mean, as you say, greater awareness about the impact of personal choices and greater awareness of some of the very complex and interlinked uh, aspects in terms of policy and so on to do with food and our diet. Well, we've been canvassing opinion and hearing about from people around the world about their thoughts, concerns and their behaviors around diet. Let's just listen. My name is Alia. I'm half Turkish, half Pakistani, but I was raised in Denmark and then I moved to Dubai. The food has always been very, very healthy and from the farms in Denmark. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that we'd buy was, and it was cheap, like it wasn't more expensive. It was always from, you know, like made in Denmark, grown in Denmark, that kind of stuff. In Dubai, they import products from all over the world because they can't really grow anything there. It's very warm. So there, everything comes from like outside. So I don't think it's very sustainable, if I'm being honest. And the organic products are a lot more expensive. So my mom buys them herself, but like I know a lot of other people don't really think about that kind of stuff. My name is Jasper van Amerik, I'm from the Netherlands. Um, so the big thing for me is food, where I, I've turned vegetarian a couple of years ago. Well, flexitarian, vegetarian, sometimes vegan. It's a little in between, but all of it's to do with cutting meat. But to be fair, the rest of my diet, I'm not sure how sustainable that part is, because obviously like vegetables can be just as unsustainable as meat. I, honestly, I don't really know about that, but the meat bit is, is the important bit. My name's Jan Meredith and I'm from Shrewsbury, about uh, 50 miles uh, north of Birmingham, towards Wales. I'm from a, like it's a farming area I come from, so I think you're always thinking about sustainability and what people can do. I, I do eat meat, so I do look to see where my meat comes from. I do try and do 
as much as I can. Where, you know, do you, you all try and do your little bit? So we heard there a number of voices, people talking about their personal choices. Can we apply this maxim, Isabella, that a healthy diet equals a healthy planet? And if so, how do we sort of make that connection between the individual and the larger picture? Well, I think absolutely so. I mean, scientists tell us that too much red meat consumption also correlates to, to cancer, some forms of cancers, and it's not good for, for us to, to consume too much meat. But I think it's very interesting to listen to Marie, and, and I know that the young people in Sweden, and I think in most, well, in many countries around the western part of the world, are now diminishing their consumption of meat, and, and it's not kind of a sacrifice, it's, it's something that you makes you feel good and, and your health is also benefiting from it. And in fact, in the last two years in Sweden, the meat consumption has come down. But you have to put that into perspective because the meat consumption has gone up incredibly much since we uh, joined the European Union, in fact, because since then, the price of meat and food in general has gone down enormously in Sweden. So. Let's say in the 1970s, a normal family of their total available income, they would spend some third of their salary on food. Today, it's 13%. It's very, very little. It's very cheap to, to buy a lot of food. And you can also see that we're wasting a lot of food. We're throwing it away. We're buying it. And also, if you're talking about how can you affect people to make healthier choices, I think the retailers, the food stores themselves, have a lot of influencing potential because the concept of nudging, they are using uh, lower prices on meat to have more customers come in and uh, actually they're selling meat that is at a lower price than the producer can produce the meat. At the end of the day, that means that there's a, such a pressure for animal farms to produce less and less expensive meat, and that comes to the price of the animals, because they are really suffering when the, the production is so intense, and uh, there's a lot of use of antibiotics, as I mentioned. But it also comes to the expense of the planet, because it's not sustainable that we're farming to have crops that you give to animals that then you eat the animals, instead of eating the vegetable proteins directly, that would be much, much more sustainable. David, to pick up on some of those points, cheap food can be harmful, but of course it, it enables people to have greater access to food, to broaden their diet. I mean, barring you know, and mitigating some of the factors that Isabella has talked about, where's the problem in cheaper food? The way in which this issue is presented is super interesting. Marie has said she's more and more conscious of what she's eating. Isabella has pointed out that costs have dropped so that people can have a much greater variety. I have said that this consequence of this is that some people are eating too much of the wrong food and the planet is being actually quite badly damaged. So where does this lead us? Answer, we have to think super carefully and clearly about what is actually being paid for when food is produced. And the real point that everybody needs to understand is that what you pay for a half a kilo of meat in a supermarket is probably only about one third of the true cost of producing that meat. And what's actually happening is that there is a whole load of other costs that go into the meat 
that are not being paid for by the purchaser. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm saying, uh-oh, have to increase the price of everything. No. What instead I'm saying is, rather as Marie has pointed out, let's be much more conscious of what the activities we do in our life are actually doing for our persons and for our planet. And that's where the Nordic way, just excuse me saying this, really matters. What I have learned from working with people from the Nordic countries is that this is a series of societies where people actually do think about the totality of what they do, not just for themselves, but for their community, for their environment, and indeed for the planet. And I would like to get that way of thinking much more widely spread across the world. I don't know if I agree that much with you that the Nordic way is the best way on all the issues because, well, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, we no, but because our consumption is here, right? So we need to do something. It, it, we, Nordic countries, like, like all of developed countries, consumption is high. Yeah. Yes, of course. And we need to become more aware. Like, there are a lot of Norwegian people who drive to Sweden to buy your cheap meat that you get from because you're part of the European Union. And that's one part of our society that maybe I don't represent because I live in Oslo and I hang out with the climate people, you know, like there are differences in our society, within our society as well, and, and not all people are that concerned. And I think that in a lot of developing countries, people eat more sustainably already, maybe because they don't have the choice, but also because, I don't know, they're not forced to increase their consumption as much as we and and also we waste so much of the food that we buy a high percentage of our consumption is is basically waste right and so you don't have those issues in a lot of developing countries and so i think there's a lot we can learn from developing countries as well when also when it comes to how to farm sustainably but of course there are issues with developing countries that have a higher increase of meat consumption and and that's something we need to discuss as well Well, exactly. I mean, Isabella, what can developing countries either teach or learn from the developed world? But also, at the same time, we're saying, aren't we implicitly, oh, developing countries shouldn't eat so much meat, but who are we to tell them to limit diets in places where you've got an emerging middle class in India and China, that all of a sudden they should, it were, take the diet that we haven't been prepared to do for a very long time? I mean... We are not the ones to tell them not to behave the way that we are behaving, you know. So the only way we can try and save the world together is to say that, okay, so don't repeat our mistakes. I mean, we see the result of over-intensive farming in, in terms of loss of soil, in terms of eutrophication of our oceans, and because of massive use of, of artificial nutrients that we put, instead of using the nutrients that comes from the animals themselves and creating a circular and an organic way of food production. And we're abusing our animals and we're eating so much and so badly that we are really suffering from obesity in the one end and some other eating disorders in the other. So, I mean, we have a very, I would say, dysfunctional relationship to food and our way of, of, of eating. But I think also food is so much connected to uh, 
all those very positive uh, values in life. You know, when you eat something that is really well prepared and good, I mean, that's when you're, you're actually feeling alive and, and enjoying life. So it could be such a positive part of our lives. And we, we're literally depend on, on our survival on food. So if we would care a little bit more about what we eat and how it is produced, and we also add the dimension of respecting the animals, respecting our planet, I think we would come a far way of uh, protecting our planet. And this is the way we need to think. And we should not force upon other countries our mistakes. And basically, I know that uh, that is the case when we, we have cases of so-called land grabbing in developing countries and big agribusinesses come in and invest and so on. And that is very detrimental to, to people that don't get a chance of their own way of development. I'd like to take a slight pause so that we can take some questions from our audience gathered here in the pavilion of the Nordic Council of Ministers here at the COP24. The lady over here. Hello, my name is Sandra. I'm from Gothenburg University in Sweden. So in Sweden, the producer is responsible for the packaging that they put into the market, and they're also responsible for collecting the packaging. And Swedes are really good at recycling, but not nearly enough for the ecosystem to actually handle the production of the packaging and when it isn't handled correctly. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the packaging ends up in the farmer's land in the end because biocomposting bags from maize starch actually do have plastic in them. So I want to know how food systems could help turn into a zero waste system. So, so looking not just at the food itself, at the attendant aspects to food production. Mari, you were nodding your head there. <laughs> I work in an organic shop in Oslo. And we try as much as we can to be zero waste, but it's super difficult. And we don't have any packaging on our vegetables. Also, we have different types of grains and, and lentils and nuts and etc. Zero waste as well. Like you can bring your own packaging if you, yeah, whatever. And we try, but it's still really difficult because people are so used to having things pre-prepared in a package. So it's like people choose what's easy. So that's an issue. And also we need to do something about like how we recycle these corn uh, packaging as well because it doesn't work in, in the normal recycling facilities that we have at the moment. But it's a really, really interesting question. And I think there's a lot we can do, but we just need to change our ways of shopping, basically, as well. Like, uh, I just it's all about being conscious, being conscious, being aware of what you just said. The packaging is damaging. And that consciousness of the kind you've heard will lead to change. One more question. There's a lady there. Yes. My name is Sophie from YMCA, YWC of Norway. So I know that we consume a lot, especially in Norway, I would say. And I just wonder what your perspectives are on the relationship between the consumer and the government. I try to live my life as sustainable as I can. But there are some difficulties. You have talked about how meat is very, very cheap. And there are a lot of difficulties in the system. So I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on what the government can do to make it easier to live sustainable lives. 
Isabella, I'm going yeah. to first of all turn to you about this one because, I mean, you are, of course, in government. Is government, you know, should it be the nursemaid in telling us what we can and can't eat? Should it be coercing us, as it were, into, into altering our diet? I mean, the, the government can do a lot of things. We have the tax instrument, uh, for instance, and as part of the European Union, we have some technical difficulties in trying to differentiate between uh, the tax on different types of food. But one very forceful instrument that we have is the public procurement. 600 billion Swedish kroner, that would be 60 billion euros a year of public procurement. Not only food, but what goes the food that goes to schools, to hospitals, to homes for elderly, etc. And there we have a very ambitious target of 60% organic food by 2030. We're already above 30% in public procurement. And that gives the very strong signal to farmers that there is a market. They can offset their produce if they go organic. So they have to transform the way that they are producing food. But in order to dare to do that, they want to know that they have the market. So the public procurement provides that possibility. And then when farmers have done the transition, they can also sell and give their produce to the uh, normal retailers. And that is a way that we can push uh, the transition. I really, really appreciate what uh, Isabella has just said. So my comments on your question are very brief. Number one, government has to act on behalf of the public good. And the public good means the collective of people who are actually harming themselves by what they eat and sometimes unwittingly harming their families. There is a massive epidemic of type 2 diabetes in today's world. Really, about 20 to 25% of adults in many geographies are diabetic now, and it's because of diet. And so government is going to have to pay the consequences of that in health services. So therefore, it's absolutely essential for the public good to help people not to eat too much of the foods that lead to chronic disease. Secondly, government has to help people make the right choices, and that means using things like public procurement to enable everybody who can to access organic and nutritious food at an affordable price. It's wrong that at the moment organic and nutritious is sometimes twice the cost of the stuff that's not. And so back to the Nordic way, you heard it from Deputy Prime Minister, let's follow the example, use public procurement as one of the instruments. Mari. I agree with the question, like there are so many issues with choosing to live sustainably and it's really difficult if you're a student or I mean, yeah, if you just don't have the money to shop where I uh, work, you know, in my organic shop. Where I hear it's that? Quite... She doesn't have the money to <laughs> shop in her own shop. So what do you do? You but, th- what should government be doing? Yeah, I think there's a dilemma with it as well because you can't reduce the prices of organic food because we're already using way too little money on food. So we need to do something about the public discourse as well to make people understand that food is actually expensive. It should be uh, because farmers need to earn something and we need to pay the costs of, of the soil, of animals, etc., so we should do something about the public discourse. And I also think we should do something more about food waste. And I know that in Norway, we've, civil society has been working for a law against food waste. And I think that's something that should be considered as well. 
I don't know if you have it in Sweden. So I've been dumpster diving. Is I don't know if everyone knows what dumpster diving is, but yes. it's when you go to a shop and you take what's in the dumpsters, basically. And, and as, as an illustration of, of the kind of waste yes. that goes on in our modern food systems. Yeah. And there's way too much food in the dumpsters. And it shouldn't be there. It's edible. So we need to do something about that as well. I would uh, Richard, like... we've got two warriors here. Warriors. They are fighting to get it right. And this is important. This is why this podcast is so important. Thank you. And, and I do think it's very important that these discussions and these points are raised because they go beyond, as we've been hearing, yeah. the theoretical and they're about the practical and they're about action. I am immensely grateful to our three guests for the light that they've shone on this issue. Isabel Lovin, Deputy Swedish Prime Minister, Dr. David Nabarro, with many, many years' experience across issues of global health. Marie Hasler-Einang, for your experience and your input from where you sit. This has been a, a very interesting and stimulating discussion. One of the Think Nordic podcast please once again subscribe via itunes where you can hear other episodes go to the nordic council of ministers website i'm richard myron this has also been produced by anouk millet from earshot strategies on behalf of the nordic council of ministers thank you